Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. I would like to invite you this morning to a Christian city. Now it only has about 20,000 people, but there are some things I should tell you ahead of time about living there. Once a year, one of the elders will come and visit your home. And because this is a Christian city, he will question every person in your home about every aspect of your lives. Now, gambling is absolutely not allowed there. Card playing is not allowed. Profanity is not allowed. Drunkenness is not allowed. You certainly can't go to a bar. You can't sing anything other than Christian music. You must live modestly, keep your entertainment to a minimum, dress modestly. The color and the amount of clothes you have and that you own will even be regulated. The number of dishes permitted at a meal are actually spelled out. Jewelry, ladies, and lace are frowned upon. And it is actually true that a woman has been jailed for arranging her hair to an immoral height. Now, would you go to live there? Would you go to live there? Well, this is exactly what it was like to live under the legalistic system that was set up by John Calvin in Geneva during the 16th century. You see, it was a place and a time where theatrical performances were limited to religious plays. But soon, even those were forbidden. Children were to be named after Old Testament characters. One obstinate father served four days in prison for insisting on naming his son Claude instead of Abraham. To speak disrespectfully of Calvin or clergy was a crime. To violate the rules meant punishment with reprimand. Further violation was fines. And if you kept it up, if you kept disobeying, you were either imprisoned or banished from the community. Fornication was to be punished with exile or drowning. Adultery, blasphemy, idolatry meant you'd absolutely be put to death. It is even recorded that a child was beheaded for striking its parents. In the years 1558 to 1559, there were 414 prosecutions for moral offenses. And between the years 1542 to 1654, there were 76 people that were banished and 58 people were executed. Torture was used to obtain confessions. And John Calvin actually burned his own stepdaughter at the stake when she was caught in adultery. That's the pride of a legalist. That is the pride of a legalist. There is no limit to where it takes people. See, I, I for one, wish that legalism would have ended when Jesus walked the earth, but it's still here, it's still alive, it's still present in the church. So I ask you, how did John Calvin come to such a goofy idea? How did he come to this? 
Well, it starts with how he handled verse 1 in our text. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5, where God tells us how to deal with the enemies of our freedom. Verse 1 tells us, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Jump to the end of the verse for a second. We're going to spend a lot of time on verse 1. We're not to become entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, it's an unmistakable reference to the Mosaic Law. Calvin had to get around this somehow. And so he is one that said certain ceremonial laws, the animal sacrifices and the feasts, these were said to be no longer binding because of the death of Christ. But the moral laws given by Moses were said to be still binding, still in effect. Sure, they don't condemn us anymore, he said. But the thinking is we still have to follow every moral law from the Mosaic Code. This is how you end up with a city where people are killed for their sin. But what does the Bible say? Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The Bible does not make the distinction that Calvin made that only the ceremonial parts of the law have been done away with. Now, I wish I could tell you that this teaching ended with Calvin, but it is alive and well. Commentaries in the study Bibles today are filled with this garbage, and that's what it is. And so men follow, not even knowing that they're putting themselves and others back into bondage. See, I hate legalism. Let me say it again in case you missed it. I hate legalism. I hate it with a passion. I hate it because I hate what it does to believers in Jesus Christ. See, we understand that the Mosaic Law in its totality, 100%, has been done away with and replaced by what the Bible calls the Law of Jesus Christ, also known as the Law of Love. This is what we're going to see when we get to chapter 6. Paul's building to this. The Mosaic Law was a legal code meant for a nation focused on external motivations for the people of Israel. But the law of Christ, the law of our Savior, it's based on grace. It's based on his love living in us. It is an internal motivation to live for Jesus Christ by his spirit living in us. The law of Christ is not an excuse to sin. It includes his teaching in the Gospels. It includes the teaching of his apostles. But it boils down to what? You know the verse. It boils down to loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then by loving your neighbor as you already love yourself. You already love yourself, the scripture teaches us. But the law of Christ, it leads us to love others. You see the difference, the difference that I'm talking about, it's all about motivation, external condemnation under Moses or internal desire based on grace and love. And the law of Christ is not a burden to the believer in Jesus Christ because our focus should be on Christ himself. So back to verse 1. Notice again that Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Now, if you've been here, as we have walked through Galatians, you have sat through a lot of theology. Let's be honest. You have sat through four chapters from Paul of theology. Here's the good news. The rest of the book is all about application. 
You see, it's become clear in our minds from Paul that we are 100% free from the law. We are free from the pressure to perform. And we are free from that pressure to perform in order to be accepted by God. We're free to enjoy the unconditional love of our God. We know this from Galatians 1 through 4 in our minds, but now it's time to take a stand in our hearts because there are people in the church of Jesus Christ today who will try to convince us otherwise. There are those in church after church who would like to see us enslaved to their legalistic systems. Verse 1 could easily be the most important verse in the entire book. I believe that. Learn this truth. If you take nothing else, learn this truth from verse 1. To be free is to follow Abraham's example of being accepted by God by faith. It is to realize that you and I, believer in Christ, we are heaven bound, that our citizenship is in heaven, in the Jerusalem from above. You see, if you want to please God, don't follow a bunch of rules. Walk by faith in a loving relationship with the Father, empowered by the Spirit and perfectly accepted in Jesus Christ. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. The wording is to take a stand and keep on standing. Keep on standing in your God-given freedom in Christ that was purchased by the blood of Christ. You are now free, free to live for the Savior. Amen. A yoke was used by a farmer back then to control and guide his oxen. Because if the animal was free, it wouldn't go where the farmer wanted it to go. Now, because they had trusted in Christ for their salvation, the Galatian believers were no longer under the yoke, the bondage of sin, but instead they had put on the yoke of Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember Christ's words from Matthew 11? What does he say? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy. What does that mean? It just means he is kind. He's gracious. His yoke frees us up to fulfill his will. But the yoke of the law, the Mosaic law, it enslaves us. So don't let yourself become enslaved again. Don't let anyone put you in bondage again because it's going to control you. Christ has set us free. But believers are living like they need to try to earn God's favor when all they have to do is enjoy it because in Jesus Christ, you already have it. Stay away from Anyone, Paul's saying, who teaches you that you need to be following the Mosaic law. Stay away from anyone who says that you need to earn the favor of God. And please, 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 Christian, stay away from any system in any church that says you have to conform to how they do things in order to be accepted by God. Why? Because it bankrupts us spiritually and it takes away any value Christ has for us. Paul tells us this in Romans 6, 14. He says, for you're not under law, but under grace. Again, it just simply means this. Don't make this harder than it has to be. It simply means we no longer need the external force of the law because we have the internal leading of the Holy Spirit teaching us how to live. 
Christ died to set us free, not to make us slaves. He didn't do that. He didn't die to make us slaves. It means we've been purchased by Christ. You are the property of the Son of God, and nobody, nobody has a right to enslave you again. The desire for freedom, it beats within each of us, his people. But there are some people who are so insecure with liberty in Christ that they would rather be under the tyranny of some legalistic leader than to make their own decisions based on the word of God and the freedom given to us in Jesus Christ. Said it before, I'll say it again, freedom scares people. Liberty scares people. So they look for a church that is legalistic and has a dictatorship where they can sit back and let the leaders make all their decisions in life for them. Makes about as much sense as an adult trying to get back into a crib. Stand fast, Paul says. It's one of his favorite rallying cries in the epistles. It would bring to mind the Roman way of waging war. When the Roman legions were facing undisciplined enemy troops, the Romans would simply just lock their shields together, plant their feet firmly in the ground, and when the enemy charged at them, they were facing a solid wall of shields. And this is the kind of stand that you and I, Christian, are supposed to take. Do not yield. Take a stand for freedom in Christ. Christ didn't set us free just so we can live in sin. And Christ didn't set us free just for us to become enslaved to something else. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I think we have. Maybe it's not legalism for you. Maybe it's not. But I think a lot of us have become enslaved again. Let me explain. History tells us about this man. He's a very big man. Renald III. He was a 14th century duke in what is now called Belgium. This was not just a tall man. This was a very plump man, grossly overweight. And he was referred to by his Latin nickname, Crassus, which just means fat. And after a violent, violent fight, his younger brother Edward led a revolt against him. And Edward captured him, but did not kill him. Instead, he did one of the cruelest things I think you could do to someone like this. He built a room around Renald in the castle and promised him that all he had to do to regain his title and his property was be able to leave the room. Now, this would not have been difficult for most people since the room actually did have several windows and a door that was almost normal size. And none of the windows or even the door were locked, not a single one of them, or obstructed in any way. But the problem was his size. Because in order to regain his freedom, he needed to lose weight. And Edward, his older brother, he knew this. And so each day he sent some of the best foods in the land into his room. And instead of losing weight to regain his freedom, Renald got bigger and bigger and bigger. And when Duke Edward was accused of cruelty, he had a ready answer. He said, my brother's not a prisoner. He may leave whenever he so wills. Well, Renald ended up staying in that room for 10 more years and was not released until his brother Edward died in battle. But by then his health, it was so ruined that he died within a year as a prisoner of his own appetite. And I think this is where the Western church today stands prisoners of our own appetites, not just with food and maybe not enslaved to rules, but I would say enslaved to the world. This is why 
Christians, we can't put down our phones. This is why we can't shut off the stupid TV. This is why we get a PFD check and we think about what we can buy for ourselves instead of using it for the glory of God and supporting the work of Christ or even putting it away for a rainy day. Enslaved, trapped in the world's way of thinking. See, I'm convinced of this. Satan will never have a problem finding more things for each of us to crave after. And I don't think most of us are looking for freedom. We want to feel safe. We want comfort. We want stuff. But that's not freedom in Christ. You see, Paul is telling us in the text, our heavenly destiny is settled. So live like it. There is a freedom for the redeemed. Freedom in Christ to be content with what we have. Free to live for him. Freedom to live in his love instead of hate. Freedom to have his joy in our lives instead of moping around because we don't think we have a perfect life. Freedom to stand in his peace even when there's conflict. Freedom to wait on God. Freedom to be kind when others hurt. Free to live for Christ even when everyone else around you is not. Freedom to have Jesus Christ as your anchor when others have nothing to trust in. Freedom to let Christ lead you in righteousness. Freedom to no longer be enslaved to the sin nature. Some of us have made our own prisons, but Christ has given us the strength to live in freedom. See, if you truly believe this world is in the hands of God, meaning if you truly believe in the sovereignty of God instead of just giving it lip service, then we actually really have nothing to worry about, do we? And then we can live by faith. Then we can trust. And that is freedom, isn't it? I ask you, was Renald free? I mean, he did whatever he wanted. When given the choice, he chose to indulge his appetite at the cost of greater freedom. He was enslaved to his own cravings, his own appetite for more. What I'm telling you is that there's two ditches on the side of the road that we need to watch out for. Enslavement to rules on one side, enslavement to self and the world on the other. And true freedom in Christ is found right down the middle in living for Christ by faith. Empowered by God, we can live without guilt or condemnation. Empowered by God, we have the freedom to obey and live for him. Verse 2 in Galatians 5. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Notice how Paul starts out the verse. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you. What is Paul doing? Well, Paul is showing his authority as an apostle of Christ. You see, Paul was chosen directly by God for this purpose. God had directly given Paul his revelation. Paul is telling us when we conform to a legalistic standard, when we start taking on all the legalistic standards of men, Christ will be no benefit. If these Gentile Christians added circumcision, or if we come along as Christians and add anything in order to be accepted by God, then it ignores the work of Christ that he has done for us. The law takes away any value Christ has for us. Now, what does this mean? Well, Paul already said back in verse 1 that these Christians had been set free. So don't read into this that Paul is saying if they were circumcised, it shows that they were never saved in the first place. That's a typical lordship salvation view, but that is not, that is not what he's saying. 
They were saved. They were justified. They were free. But now they were trying to grow in their faith by the works of the law. There are Christians who spend a lot of time doing things that God actually doesn't ask us to do. It has no value, Paul says, no profit, no benefit. It doesn't make you any closer to Jesus Christ, and it sure isn't going to help you when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, church-age believers following the Mosaic Law has zero value in your relationship to God, and you shouldn't expect a reward for it when you get to glory. Paul was confronting these believers saying, hey, wait a minute, salvation by faith was beneficial for getting these believers into the Christian life, but somehow the sufficiency of Christ is not good enough, not profitable for living the Christian life? Are you kidding me? Go back to Galatians 2.20. Let's read it again. We've covered this verse many times. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The hardest thing to get an unbeliever to trust in is the substitutionary death of Christ. But the hardest thing to get a Christian to trust in is the substitutionary life of Christ. Christ living in us. That's what Paul is talking about. You see, on our own, we cannot even live the Christian life. It's impossible. Even this needs to come by faith and by his power living in us. So pick it up again with verse 3. Paul continues to write and he says, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. See, it was even worse because if we try to keep the law, it puts us in great debt. If we insist on keeping part of the law, then we're obligated to keep the whole thing. The law is not like a buffet where you can pick and choose the parts you want to keep and that you like and then just leave the rest of it. If you're going to insist on circumcision, if you're going to insist on keeping one of the laws, then you've got some work to do because then you better go out and keep the other 612 commands. See, if we are going to say we're going to keep the Sabbath as part of the law, then you better get prepared to start sacrificing animals as well. Because to put yourself under one part of the law obligates you to keep the whole thing. Try this the next time you get stopped by a trooper for speeding. And I know you guys never do, but suppose you did. Try saying, officer, I am sorry for speeding, but I've never robbed anyone. I've never cheated on my income taxes. I've never not stopped at a stop sign in town. Do you think that's going to help you not get a ticket? The police officer is just going to smile as he continues to write it on up because he knows something. He knows that no amount of obedience can make up for the one act of disobedience. And that's exactly how the law works. Galatians 3.10 already told us, for as many, notice the part I put in all caps, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed to everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. 
You see, if you insist on putting yourself under part of the law to try to make yourself more acceptable to God, even as a believer, then you make sure that you keep the whole law, but nobody can do it. Now, verse 4, back in chapter 5. It tells us that when we try to keep the law, what does it do? It alienates us from Christ and takes us out of the realm of grace. Not that we are severed from Christ, like some of the translations say. It's more about a break in fellowship with God, still a part of God's family, still redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but out of fellowship with God. It's not that Christ leaves us when we try to earn God's favor. It's that we leave Christ and we drift in our faith out of that sphere of grace. The word for fallen, it's interesting. It was a nautical term used in the Bible days, used to describe ships that would drift off course. Here it speaks of a believer drifting off course. And he does not say they have fallen away from salvation, does he? He doesn't say that. When you try to earn favor with God, you as a believer are drifting from grace into legalism. Notice carefully, it says they were attempting to be justified by the law. They were already justified by faith, freed by Christ. That was verse one. But legalism, you see, tells you that you need to do more in order to keep or maintain your justification by works. Or even that you need to prove you're justified by your works. And you better keep it up until the day you die. Otherwise, it shows that you were never saved in the first place. We hear this more and more today. And it's just a confusion of sanctification and justification. Here's what I'm telling you. The legalist can never rest in Christ. The legalist doesn't have that rest. The legalist can never rest in Christ because they have to keep attempting to be justified. It's something that is never achieved before death. They have to keep trying to obey laws and rules. It's not that these people, Paul says, will lose their salvation. It's that they lose the enjoyment of their salvation because they work so hard for something that they already have. And if it's up to us to become holy, then that's a burden, isn't it? If we got to try to make ourselves holy, that is a huge weight on our shoulders and we're never, ever, ever going to get there. But you see, when we live by faith, we trust that our righteousness is secure in him, in Christ, that the spirit of God is working in us and that one day we will stand in perfect holiness when God glorifies us. Some time ago, I got a kick out of this story. The LA Times reported that a 19-year-old woman had fallen asleep behind the wheel shortly after midnight. She plunged through a guardrail on a freeway in East LA. Her car was left hanging, just hanging, barely on the cliff. Half a dozen cars stopped immediately and people got out right away and they grabbed some rope and they're tying it to the back of the woman's car and they hung on to the back of her car until the fire trucks arrived. And a ladder was got out. They extended it from below to help stabilize the car while firefighters came from above trying to tie the vehicle to tow trucks with cables and chains. And one of the rescuers said, every time we would move the car, she'd yell and scream. It was obvious she was in pain. And it took almost two and a half hours to rescue this lady. And it took about 25 people to secure the car and pull this woman to safety. But Ross Marshall, the L.A. County fire captain, said later, it was kind of funny because she kept saying throughout the whole thing over and over and over again, I'll do it myself. It was an absurd thought. 
It was an absurd thought because had she tried, she would have gotten nowhere. She would have gone straight down. She had to trust in those, hear me, on those that were sent to rescue her. But let me tell you, it's even more absurd to think that you can save yourself or that you can live the Christian life all by yourself. And if you try, Christian, you're going to get nowhere. You're never going to make yourself a better person by trying to live under your own strength. It'll leave you broken. It's going to leave you defeated. But faith, it gives us the hope of our future righteousness in Jesus Christ. Meaning this, trusting Christ gives us the assurance that someday he's going to make us exactly like him. And Paul tells us, starting in verse 5, in our last few verses, he says, For we hope through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Notice Paul identifies himself with them in verse 5. We, through the Spirit, Paul saw them as believers. Paul is talking of faith, hope, and love made possible by God the Spirit in us. There's some beautiful words in these verses. Through the Spirit, eagerly what? Wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Notice that word, wait. He doesn't tell us to do something for it. He doesn't tell us to work for it. But wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Telling us something. It's that by faith we eagerly anticipate with absolute assurance that perfect righteousness will be ours when we see Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 2 teaches us, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, the Bible tells us that right now, in position, because of the work of Christ, God sees us as righteous. But we also know that right now our condition, just simply meaning how you and I live, it doesn't always match our position in Christ, does it? Because we still live with a sin nature. Paul is telling us, by faith, we look ahead to the day when we get to the other side, when our condition, how we live, matches the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when we are completely free from the presence of sin in our lives. Faith gives us that hope. Faith does what the law could not do. It gives us hope that one day we will live in perfect righteousness. You see, left on our own, we can never be as half as good as Jesus Christ. But we have the assurance that one day we will be every bit as pure as Christ. Paul is telling us that the law leaves us with this feeling of being helpless because we can never reach perfection. We can never get there. It's always a struggle under the law. And you never, ever can get there no matter how hard you try. But when we live by faith, we trust that our righteousness is secure in Jesus Christ. We trust that the Spirit of God is working in us now, making us more and more like Christ. And faith gives us the hope of future righteousness that will be perfectly complete in Him. But faith also should give us love in the present. And that's what he tells us in verse 6. Faith should give us love. For in Christ Jesus, he says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything. Telling us what? That the law is powerless. You see, if you keep the law, or if you don't keep the law, it contributes nothing towards your spiritual growth in Christ. Faith for justification. 
faith for growing in our walk with Christ, and faith as we look forward to our future with Christ. You see, the bottom line is that people are sinful. You're sinful, I'm sinful, we're all sinful, aren't we? And no matter how much we grow in our walk with Christ, we're still going to stumble. We're still going to fall short of the glory of God. But the law cannot help us. So don't turn there. Living by the law, all that it does is it makes us critical. It makes us judgmental of others when they fail to meet our standards. In other words, living by the law can only make us more of a bunch of hypocrites. But it cannot make us more holy. And it cannot make us more loving Only faith can do that by the power of God's Spirit living in us. Only a faith which expresses itself through love. Faith, hope, and love. That is what a Christ-centered life looks like. By faith, we can live in love knowing that the day is coming when the love and when the righteousness of Jesus Christ will reign on earth. I was reading this past week, Baptist pastor Greg Burkham, he wrote about his recent experience on going to China for a business trip. And the Gideons, you go to China, the Gideons come knocking, they come approaching, they want to see if you can get some Bibles in for them. Well, he had been approached by the Gideons, and they asked him just to take in 10 copies, 10 copies of the Chinese New Testament. And boy, he was worried, and he thought that was going to be a problem, but that wasn't a problem. He got in with them fine, went through the scanners at customs, leaving them in every hotel that he stayed at. But on his trip, he was able to get away from the areas that Westerners normally see to get a glimpse of what life is really like for the average Chinese citizen. Greg had the opportunity to spend three days with a man and his family. And in order to get to their apartment, they had to go down a couple hundred yards down a narrow alley. And they were stepping over and around garbage. There was a dead rat in the alley covered in flies. But the man's apartment, it wasn't much cleaner than the alley. And this tiny, tiny little apartment consisted of a front room. And then it had a back room. And it was connected by this little hallway and with a couple of smaller rooms to one side and then just this tiny bathroom on the other. The toilet had no tank, just a bucket to fill with water and pour down the bowl to flush. As you walk into the apartment, the first wall that you see had a large painting of Chairman Mao on it. You see, these people and all the people living there in that apartment complex were living as slaves to the government. And the man that he stayed with, told Greg that in their way of thinking, no one exists or no one matters except their immediate family. He told stories of babies being kidnapped, and then their arms and their legs would be broken backwards to make the baby look deformed, and then the people would sit with the baby on a blanket on the streets as a sympathy prop, begging for money. Greg said that what he saw was a nation with no soul, a country and a people that the government has crushed spiritually to the point where they have less compassion than an animal. These people live in total absence of liberty. And I'm sad to say that I think we as a country are only a few steps behind. As our government continues on its quest to completely rid our society of the Christian faith, we can look at China and we can look at some of the other countries to see what the final destination of that journey looks like. And it's not pretty. May God help us if we ever arrive at that place in our lifetime. But the externals of what is happening in our nation, 
make the internal realities of Galatians 5 all that more important. You see, it ties us to the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. It changes us from within. Christ liberates us no matter what the government may do. And while we should stand for freedom in this country, all the more we should stand for the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. See, it's God's intention that we live in Christ. It's God's desire that we live in Christ freely. It's God's desire that you never go back to living under the bondage of the law that comes by following the law, by following all those rules that men like to put forth. Christ has made us free, so stand fast in liberty and don't fall from grace. Don't drift away in your faith. Don't move away from Christ. Don't move away from the liberty we have in Christ. Christian life, it's not about rules. It's about freedom, free from the penalty of our sin. We no longer need to fear our death because Christ has paid the debt of our sin and spiritual death is no longer a threat to the believer in Christ. Free from the power of sin. The power of sin is death, but through Jesus, death is now swallowed up in victory. Free from the power of sin in my life because Christ has forgiven me and has made a way for me to escape the temptation to sin. Free from living underneath all that guilt because Jesus washed me clean and by grace through faith, he has declared me not guilty. You see, if you don't understand, Christian, what Christ has done for you, you're going to find yourself burdened with guilt that you do not need to be carrying around. The Lord has set us free, declared us not guilty. The weight of that guilt is off our shoulders. It should lead you to joy and to peace. And it starts with the right mindset, aware of our sin, aware of what God has done for us, which should lead to a life of praise a life of thankfulness to God, not moping around in guilt. The focus always needs to be on what he has done. We have been given freedom to live our lives for God. When we were dead in our sins, we couldn't live for God. But because of the redeeming work of the blood of Christ, we are now alive. We are free to live for him. So let me close with this. Stand for freedom in Christ, looking to the day by faith, when Jesus Christ makes us complete in Him. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return.